Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiology and nutrition professor of about 20 years, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. We have a special episode today. Everybody's running around with summer travel, etc. So we're going to check in separately with each co-host, including myself, uh, after the break. We'll have an early break uh, and talk about summer training. What are we doing differently, if anything, during the summer, whether it's related to heat or travel or you know, a change of goal, like a mesocycle change, that kind of thing. What I'd like to do first, though, is start with two little news blurbs. Uh, there's no mail, but we'll talk about a little bit of news. Strength and Muscle Sport News. This is um, very interesting and somewhat disturbing. I need to talk about this with uh, Mike Nelson because he's been reading the literature on this for years, but this is from labroots.com by Chelsea Reardon. It says, study finds that CBD could cause liver damage. A study from the University of Arkansas uh, for medical science suggests that CBD, right, as in like cannabinoid oils, uh, may be damaging to our livers in the same way that alcohol and other drugs are. Uh, This is a mouse study, and that's important, but bear with me because there's also human concerns. It says researchers utilized the recommended dosage as well as safety recommendations from the CBD-based drug known as Epidiolex. And for those of you who aren't familiar, this is an epilepsy drug for children uh, based on the same compound, as I understand it, that's in CBD supplements and so many different products. In fact, I just saw the comedian Louis Black just rail against CBD as sort of, you know, pot junior and how it's kind of a scam. And if he wants those effects, he'll just smoke weed and that sort of thing. And in the future, that may be true. But again, we're talking about a different compound from THC. Um, And also, Mike Nelson talked about Epidiolex uh, in our ISSN episode recently because we saw a large session uh, a lot of the molecular stuff put on by uh, Hector Lopez, who's a friend of ours and a, and a medical doctor that works with ISSN. In any case, it says, when examining the mice with various doses of CBD in their system, it appeared that mice had that had consumed higher doses of CBD showed signs of liver damage in as little as 24 hours. Now, that's very disturbing, right, because of the broad and rapid um, distribution of these supplements, and again, I'm not buying into this necessarily, right? We, we revise our opinions and our conclusions as things progress, but it says Igor Koturbash, K-O-T-U-R-B-A-S-H, Ph.D., told Nutra Ingredients that the Epidiolex label, quote, clearly states a warning for liver injury. It states that you have to monitor the liver enzymes in patients who use Epidiolex, uh, and in clinical trials... 5 to 20% of the patients developed elevated liver enzymes, close quote. 
So again, this is a, a concern because of how broadly and rapidly CBD supplements have hit the market uh, in all manner of food products and you know oils and uh, supplement type things. As further early evidence of this, apparently this Dr. Hardeep Singh, S-I-N-G-H, he's a gastroenterologist uh, at St. Joseph Hospital in California, uh, Orange, California. Uh, he basically said research is showing that patients that are diagnosed with hepatitis C, which obviously is a <laughs> very serious liver uh, viral infection, uh, that used cannabis had more progression in their liver disease than those who did not. So this piece just closes by saying, to date, the FDA has not approved any of the CBD products that are currently being sold across the U.S. except for Epidiolex. So I guess, um, you know, caveat emptor, uh, buyer beware. Uh, you just have to be cautious, I suppose. Maybe consider, I don't know, trying it for two weeks and then take a month off, maybe take a little milk thistle or something that's might help right with liver uh, protection uh we'll just have to see where this uh pans out but each person just has to make their own determination you know navigating these um uncertain early waters what's next here this is from the ift the institute of food technologists from their recent meeting that's been going on i've been sort of monitoring this i did not go this year too much other stuff happening uh meat plant blends address flexitarian lifestyle so if you're not familiar flexitarians they're sort of plant forward but not vegan so they'll eat meats like some will say i'll eat chicken or i'll eat just fish uh, that sort of thing but really focus mostly on plants which really isn't a bad approach in my uh, opinion but it says flexitarians eat both meat and plant-based products uh, they prefer to avoid animal derived meat and I find that almost a bizarre statement. Animal-derived meat? What other kind is there, right? So otherwise, I would just call it a meat product. But a new generation of plant-based meat products, uh, for example, the Impossible Burger and Beyond Meat, they're seizing on this uh, growing consumer demographic, right, of flexitarians. Um, it says meat hybrids combine meat and plant-based ingredients to improve their nutritional profile. Now, I actually agree with that. I mean, you could get some things, uh, for example, from beans, uh, fiber, for example, that m wouldn't normally be in meats. Uh, I don't, I don't know if you're going to get the best of all worlds, like all the zoo chemicals and all the phytochemicals, right? The meat versus plant-based nutrients. Uh, but it's interesting to try. So it says at a session on meat hybrids and analogs at the re recent Institute of Food Technologist meeting, annual event that was in New Orleans, uh, several uh, speakers brought this up. Uh, the global meat products uh, overall uh, represent $844 billion market. So the better part of a trillion dollars in the global meat market, and it says meat substitutes are only $36 billion out of that 844 so what is that like four four and a half percent it's not a big chunk of that uh so only 36 billion out of all that but they are growing at a rate of six percent and that's about double that of real meat products 
And again, it's because people are starting to fall into this flexitarian lifestyle and, and be plant forward. It says meat hybrids come in um, several formats, grounds, shreds, crumbles, yes, patties, sausages even, um, nuggets, meatballs, ready-to-eat type products. So in a lot of things, um, some brand names that you might find rec uh, recognizable, Tyson Foods. They launched a new brand called Raised and Rooted, and Purdue. Purdue Foods recently rolled out, let's see, Chicken Plus Nuggets. Also, uh, the Chicken Plus Tenders and Patties. So, um, keep your eyes peeled, I suppose, for this hopeful attempt at mixing plants, meaty-type plant products, with real meats. In fact, it's not only plants, even mushrooms, right, which are, of course, fungi. Uh, it says Steve Solomon, I guess this was one of the speakers here of the Mushroom Council. He said that they're developing a burger that is 70% beef and 30% mushroom. And they're doing that in conjunction with the Culinary Institute of America. So that um, suggests it might actually taste pretty good, not to mention providing... Harder to find nutrients like vitamin D. Um, there'd be some antioxidants in there, glutathione and whatnot, right? Uh, mushrooms are a very interesting food source uh, and something that we continue to try to put together an episode for you. So if you're offended by any of this or, you know, find it a meddling with something that's already perfect, uh, a.k.a. meats, send us an email and we'll read it on air and we'll talk about it. So that's our brief news segment. Uh, I did have one listener mail from Mike. Mike, I haven't forgotten you. We're going to talk about that next time, though, because I really want Phil uh, and, and Mike to uh, chime in on on your email. So having said that, we're going to go to break. And when we come back, we're going to just get a little blurb from each of the co-hosts here about what's happening as far as summer training. Hey listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle, oh, you poor meathead, all that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what. Uh, there is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote-unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, there's enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety, uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that, and uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single-digit uh, royalty on the book, but that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. 
Toward this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. Okay, due to a combination of summer travel and me getting called in to the university, we're going to have a special episode today where we just individually talk about how our summer training is going, uh, is it different from the rest of the year, uh, and that sort of thing. So here's my two cents with this. Being post-competitive, I'm often looking for ways to mix things up. What are some little goals that I could go after and that sort of thing? Uh, Number one for me this summer has been frequency. Uh, I do quite a bit of what we'll call barbell circuits or, uh, you know, standard bodybuilding exercise circuits. It's actually been quite good for hypertrophy uh, instead of doing my usual three-way bodybuilding split, which is similar to a push-pull body part split, uh, I go in and I purposely try not to get sore. I just do three sets, basically, of mostly basic heavy compound movements. Not super heavy. My joints won't have that anymore, but, you know, the kind of thing where I'm doing maybe six or eight repetitions. There's little doubt that it has been Part of why I put on 10 pounds probably since early April. Um, Another part of this, of course, is that I don't have quite the stress that I do during uh, the academic year when I'm working 50 hours a week. uh, And I get to lift around noon. I just love it. I, I like to go to the gym, headphones, crank on some Van Halen, and just get to work. My sessions are only about 45 minutes, so it's not like I'm in there for a real long time. Um, And I have actually gotten sore a few times because each time my circuit is different. So the novelty of it, I think, still gets me a bit. Now, I'm old, uh, but it might look like this. Squat, uh, then barbell row, uh, then freestanding overhead press, military press. Or it might be leg press, seated cable row, and then dumbbell bench press. Other days it might be hack squats, followed by chins, then dips. So you get the idea. Uh, Basically, it's a legs, back, chest kind of arrangement. Uh, And I put arms at the end of these more core movements... Uh, on most days, but not all. It depends if, you know, my biceps and triceps are sore. With the exception of the arm work at the end, which is usually barbell or dumbbell curls and 
lying triceps extensions, right, uh, hit heads, skull crushers, whatever you want to call them. I'll do the basic compound movements uh, one after the other in circuit type format, uh, and I can get away with that hogging three pieces of equipment at the gym because it's one o'clock in the afternoon. It's one of the great things about being a teacher in the summer. Uh, however, sometimes I will just do straight sets. Uh, I'll get my three sets in at a piece of equipment, like let's say at the squat rack, uh, and then I'll move on to rows or pull downs or something like that for three sets and then move on to whatever I'm doing for chest uh, that day for three sets. But you get the idea. Uh, the fact that I'm not using lots of negatives and getting very sore on purpose allows me to go back in uh, the next day. Uh, I have a two on, one off split uh, as I do this uh, because I've just found especially... Uh, you know, being <laughs> 50, it's actually quite tough for me to do a three on one off or a four on one off split. That's too much frequency, too much volume. And I just end up getting little nagging injuries. On the nutrition side of things, uh, it can be a bit dangerous. Uh, ironically, summer is actually a better time for me to gain weight I think when most people are trying to be lean for the pool side. Uh, but because I'm home, I can eat every couple of hours if I want. Uh, the risk would be that I start munching inappropriately, you know, on stuff that I probably should not be. In fact, I eat less strictly than I do when I take a lunch to work because, of course, when I'm at work, and you may notice this yourself, but... I'm a captive audience, so I eat what's on hand. And if it's a bunch of turkey and baby carrots, uh, that's what I eat. Uh, when I'm at home, though, I have l lots of variety uh, and more time to just graze constantly. So again, you can see it's good for weight gain probably, but not as good for uh, leaning down. And lastly, I would be remiss if I didn't at least mention that my sleep can simply be better. Uh, if I don't sleep well or I go to bed a little too late, I can sleep in until 6.30 or 7.30 in the morning. And that's got to count for something and is probably responsible for part of my weight gain. In a sense, it makes me long for the days when I was freelancing and running my own business and that sort of thing, as opposed to all the things that... I've got going on now, data collection and uh, teaching online and six professional talks in the last five weeks. It's just, it's been pretty full and I'm looking forward to a July where I can really just lift and sleep and eat and live. So again, that's my two cents and we'll see what the other guys have to say. Good morning, everybody. This is Phil Stevens. I run Strength Guild. I'm also a powerlifter, Highland Games athlete, and world traveler of late. Um, we're going to talk summer training and how my training differs in the summertime versus the rest of the time. There's a, the first thing that pops in my head, summertime, I just train much better. Um, and I know a lot of people who do, and usually that's due to the heat and orthopedic issues. Uh, it hurts less. It just flat out hurts less to train in the summer which honestly, this will be odd for 
what's going to come later on in this and that usually summer is not my hardest time of training, but I feel good. I mean, we go in there, there's less warm up time. I have less time that's just spent warming up and things like that. Cause I usually come in and my hips and knees and everything feel pretty good, pretty fast. So we're able to get in there and push it harder sooner than later. So, um, and I know like a, a lot of my, uh, a lot of my lifters are that way. And I also, I just don't mind getting, getting sweaty. You know, you get in there, you feel like you got something done. You get a sweat going on. Uh, this time of year, it's kind of tough because, you know, you might go through several shirts. Uh, cause honestly, I, I, I won't squat without a shirt on. It's still a little tough to, uh, squat heavyweights when you got a bar sliding on your back. But, um, yeah, I mean, I don't mind getting, getting down and dirty and getting my sweat on. So, and like I said, uh, knees, hips, everything feels, feels much better just coming into the gym. I don't have to like put on my knee sleeves a half an hour before I get in there and then, you know, get warmed up and just get the body temperature up. So usually I'm, I'm up, I'm raring to go and I can get moving pretty good, pretty quick. Uh, the other big thing that differs for me is it's a time usually when I'm not pushing towards a meet. Um, this is usually my off season. There's several reasons for that. Number one being, uh, God, if I'm honest, number one is probably because it's the, it's the time that I have the hardest time holding weight. Uh, and I usually compete heavier. So summer rolls around and generally I have a lot more stuff going on. We run a little farm here. So I'm, uh, I'm getting things ready come springtime. I'm getting things ready for next winter. So like this year, we've got six cords of wood cut. I've got goats to take care of. I've got all kinds of farm work. So I'm just naturally more active in the summer. Couple that with heat, going out and doing things. Um, it's hard for me to keep weight on and I'm just busy with other stuff. A lot of times that kicks my ass. So training backs off a little bit. Um, but the number one reason is it's just hard for me to hold weight. It's always been hard for me to hold weight in the summer because I'm generally more active. Um, like right now I'm about 50 pounds down from where I'm going to compete at in November. So it's usually like the end of August or, or the beginning of August. I'll start thinking about it and start cramming in food. And the other reason for that is just, <laughs> it's, if you be honest, it's, it's actually pretty miserable when it's 105 degrees out and 80% humidity and you're 280 pounds. So, um, it's just tough to eat then. So it's tough to eat really big all year long. And it's more tough to eat really big when it's just miserably hot out and sticky. Um, and you just, you just feel like, you feel like hell. So, um, like I said, my time, it's the time that I use to be a little bit more act, uh, active, athletic, whatever you want. So I'm moving fast. I'm moving good. I'm trying to, trying to nail in form, things like that. I'm trying to figure out how to move at a lighter body weight. Um, just be quick. You know, that's, that's one thing that I'm, I've lost over the years and I'll, I'll be the first to admit it. I'm not nearly as explosive as I used to be. So I have to do a little more dedicated time to, to work on that. Um, I've always been a grinding lifter, but, uh, in the summertime, it makes it a little more, uh, it's a little easier to try and be fast because things feel good. Again, going back to talking point number one. And then, uh, we're also working on that. I'm not in meet time. So I'm just, uh, I'm just working on reps, getting volume in, getting speed work in, nailing down form, things like that. Because then come late August, I don't want to be thinking about that. I want it to all be, uh, 
just instinctual by that point because I put months and months and months of training into it. So now I can get in meat mode. Meat mode for me is not thinking. It's just nailing things. So that's kind of how, how summer summer hits me. The other thing that happens for me is I'm traveling a lot more. So like this month has been nuts for me. I've been gone pretty much every week. Um, this past week I was up at super training the week before that. I was out with Camille Blank, Bazinat, and Dave Lipson in Denver doing some training with them. So uh, traveling a lot more changes things. So, but, uh, you know, up there and, you know, seeking out the best knowledge from the best people in the world and just getting some FaceTime in, man, just hanging around my buddies. So, um, got things like that. Kids are out of school. They want to do more things. So everything kind of, kind of takes a backseat, but, um, the gym is honestly, we're weird. The gym is, uh, a little slower a lot of times, especially in early summer, that first month of summer. Um, cause I deal with a lot of high school kids. It's like, they seem like when they get out of school, they're like, we're done for about a month. Uh, they're, they're very hit and miss. And, uh, I understand it, man. They just went through nine months of school and they're wanting to just hang out and, and just be for a little bit. So I don't stress it. Um, I'll talk some shit on them, you know, drop them lines on Facebook, tell them they're getting weak and fat and ugly. But, uh, that's what a loving coach does. So um, yeah, so the gym's a little slower. I'm able to, to get in there, kill my work. Uh, we're sweating, we're dying in there and, uh, helping everybody else out, get all their stuff done. So yeah, that's, that's kind of what, what changes with me. So less eating. I usually clean it up. I just go ahead and cause I know I naturally lose weight. So I use that as my time to go down. Like I said, I'm down 50 pounds. Uh, I feel good. I'm not nearly as strong as I was. Like I squatted 600 the other day and it was like, wow, that felt really heavy when it wasn't that long ago that 705 for a double felt pretty easy. So, but I'm okay with that. I mean, I know I, at this point, I know where my standards are. If I'm hitting this at this weight, this far out, then I'll probably be good for this. So I just signed up for my next meet last weekend or last week during the week. Uh, Jesse Burdick, my buddy up there in the, at CSA gym, shot me a line, gave us an entry for the Reebok record breakers. And I missed that last year because I took a, a lifter to nationals. But this year I'm signing up for that. I'm doing my first ever meet at the 308 class. So I made that decision right after this last meet because I was uh, the heaviest I've ever been in my lifting career. I made it to 293 and I lifted it to 275. So about a week out, I just kind of cleaned things up and lost some weight and didn't drink as much water and things like that. And I was feeling really, really crampy the whole trip up, even though I didn't do like a dedicated cut, um, like a, like a super dehydration or anything. But I think just my, my electrolytes low and yeah, I probably was some dehydrated somewhat and, I was cramping the day before, I was cramping in the warm-up room, and then I cramped really hard on my 705 opener, and uh, to the point I had a, a small tear, and it was right after that meet, I was like, screw it, dude, I'm, I'm old, I'm 43, I'm not going to be, uh, I preach to my lifters, the only reason to cut is to break records, so it was like, what the hell are you doing, why didn't you just go in and weigh what you weigh and lift where you lift? So I figure I'll probably be about the same weight at this meet. The goal is to get up at least 293 again. And then just hold it. Just stay there. Don't worry about dropping the pounds to make the weight. And I'll just go in and lift what I lift at uh, at 308. 
because the plan was to go 800 that meet, but I hit that that opener and cramped hard. I was still able to stand up. It was just a little scary moment because the cramp was right where my uh, hamstring detached. I just shifted everything to the leg and stood up. But uh, luckily at that point, 700 was a pretty easy squat for me. That's why I was opening with it. So I stood up with it and just called it a day. But this meet, I want to I wanna go for that 800 if it's there. And setting myself up to have the best chance to do that would be to not cut weight again and and, and uh, cramp up. So I'm doing the 308 class. We'll be rolling up there in November. Training for that will start around August. Um, and I'll try and eat my way up 45 pounds in a few months. So, um, yeah, that's where we're at. So lots of barbecues, lots of being active, a little less eating, still training hard as ever, but it's a little more focused on getting quality reps in, perfecting any form issues that you had, being more explosive, uh, some cardio work. I've been riding the bike a lot, things like that, doing that. That's stuff that I call, that's my don't want to die at 45 training. So just getting a little cardio in and things like that, and then I can have a nice 12-week push to uh, be a complete fat ass and uh, lift some heavy weight, and then I'll cut down again. Plus, wintertime is just better for that. I mean, there's... Who wants to cut during Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's and things like that? So, you know, I'll be able to smash some some Thanksgiving dinners and some Halloween candy and uh, all that stuff. So, anyways, thanks a lot, guys. Bye. Hey, what's going on? It's Dr. Mike T. Nelson here. I'm just recording a note about uh, training over the summer and if it is any different. I'll answer this kind of in two parts. Uh, first, with some of the clients that I coach, I would say that most of their training is a little bit uh, different over the summer. So one thing I try to sit down and look at is what is the long-term plan? Uh, like the minimum I have for contract now with working with anyone is six months, and ideally if they can do 12 months, that's even better. So it gives us a long-term frame to look to see you know, do they have any social type engagements? A lot of people are looking more for body composition stuff uh, before the summer. I think a lot of times they're like, oh, it's July 4th weekend. I should get lean now. And it's like June 20th. So trying to sit down and look at an overall plan for the year. So that way we can prioritize. Are we trying to possibly gain some muscle, maybe gain some mass depending on their sport, what they're doing? And other times that we want to get leaner. So, for example, uh, a lot of clients want to be leaner in the summer, which is totally understandable. And then what day do they kind of have a big event? You know, maybe that's Memorial Day. Maybe it's not a till vacation in June. And we'll look at that. And we'll just roughly kind of back calculate, you know, from there. Okay, so you probably want to lose, let's say, 10 pounds. And then we'll just go backwards from there, a kind of a rough estimate of how much loss they can do per week. You know, back of the envelope around one pound per week. And again, there's lots of exceptions to that. So that would be at least 10 weeks. And then ideally, I add another 50% to that. So ideally, it would be 15 weeks. It's going to take us a little while to figure out their body. You're not always going to see that nice, neat, linear drop of one pound per week. You may have to take a few breaks in there, life gets in the way, things of that. So now we're looking back at around 15 weeks. So we have a time point of where we know we need to kind of shift gears for that. Uh, so that's the approach I take. Obviously, if they've got 
competitions, things of that nature, those are going to go in there. And for some athletes I work with, for example, I work with some uh, obstacle course racers, you know, they may have multiple type events. Or if you've got people that do CrossFit, obviously you have to qualify for them. Or if you're doing the Granite Games or whatever. So just backing up and looking at the qualifiers, trying to figure out what exactly their current weak points are, which is going to be based on a battery of assessment testing I do, which I kind of beat the crap out of them for a week. And if body comp is one of those, right, you could send them to their local DEXA fit if they want to get crazy and get a DEXA scan. Um, or you can just do circumference, pictures, body weight, things of that nature. Um, I don't do a lot of body comp testing per se, unless I can get to some calibrated equipment. But circumference, like using a myotape, body weight pictures, you can get really close and you can see changes with that. So for clients, that's generally the approach that I, I take. Uh, for myself, I usually look at it more of based on my current travel schedule. And what are the events that I want to do? And most of the time on around a per year basis, I'll kind of evaluate uh, what my goals are. And then what are my overall uh, top goals? So for example, one of my top goals is to lift the 734 pound Denny Stones in Scotland by the time I'm age 50. So I've actually been working on that goal now for, I have to go back and double check, but I want to say it's coming up on almost nine years. Uh, granted, the first time I ever did the lift, I think I got 340 pounds. I'll probably have to hit close to 800 um, in the gym uh, to do the 734 without any warm-ups or anything uh, in Scotland. Uh, so right now, getting closer I think if I look at my training log, I'm at about 550 for a triple. Um, so that's my main overall goal that I want to hit. So then I'll break that down into what is a lift that I want to hit this year and try to make it something that's pretty doable. If I go over that amount, awesome. Uh, so right now that's to hit 600 by one in the gym. And then I'll actually go a step further and write out what that actually is in visual terms. So for me, the Denny Stones is a big stone in the front and one in the back. So I have a set of replica handles that I use that I can just load with plates. So on the front one then, that's going to be 7 45-pound plates plus 15 pounds. On the back, that's going to be 6 plates of 45s. That's going to give me a combined load actually over 600 if I include the weight of the handles and everything else. So then I will actually write down my goals uh, most days per week. And when I write them down, I'll actually write them in the assumption that I've already made it. So if you get into psychology, and there's a bunch of different schools of thought on this. But basically I'm visualizing what it looks like for my more short-term goal. So I have a picture in my head of exactly what that's looked like. Uh, you could even get crazy and load that amount up in the gym and take a picture of it. I'll just visualize it. And then I'll write it in the affirmative like I have already done that goal in terms of I'm trying to walk around and be the identity of that person who has accomplished that already into the future. So, for example, I would write, 
I am someone who Denny lifts 600 pounds for one rep. And I find that by writing that down, you're basically kind of burning it into your subconscious. And I like having the time course be a little bit open. Because everybody knows that you're not going to make progress towards your goals in a linear fashion. Uh, the farther out your goals are, the more non-linear they're going to become. Uh, for example, at the Denny Lift, I started out with a much more narrow stance. And that worked good up until a point. Um, but I realized that just based on sheer mechanics, uh, one, if the stones are a little bit bigger, I'm not going to be quite prepared for that. And then two, if I can get a wider stance, I don't have to hinge as much from my low back. Obviously, muscles in my hips are going to be stronger than the muscles in my low back, and this also reduces my risk of injury. Unfortunately, it took me about a year and a half, almost two years, to widen my stance out to where I would have a better leverage via physics, uh, so where the, I could perform that lift, and then I had to build all my strength back up to that point. Uh, so now I'm almost back to where I was before, but the good part is my stance is much wider, so from a mechanical standpoint, I'm at a much higher advantage. Uh, but I say all this because I had to take almost two years off to kind of what it looked like appeared going backwards in order to then go forwards again. So just kind of keep that in mind. So I'll write down what my goals are uh, for that. Uh, some of my other goals, I usually have like two strength goals and been doing more cardiovascular stuff. So my other goal is to do a 500 meter row, one minute, 32 seconds. And then the parameter for that, since it's a row, is I have to average 450 watts during that time. So I'll write down, I am someone who rows 500 meters in one minute, 32 seconds at an average of 450 watts. Uh, I've gotten pretty close to that. I'm only about two, three seconds off that, uh, so that one should be no problem. Uh, the other one I had is uh, doing the Thomas Inch Dumbbell, which used to be called the Unliftable Dumbbell. And for a dumbbell, it's not that heavy. It's 172 pounds, so just to do a deadlift, really not that hard. The hard part is that it's a solid cast, all one piece molded. The handle is two and three-eighths inch, so it's about the size of a pop can. And what's weird is because it's all one molded piece, the stupid thing wants to just spin right out of your hand. So it's more of a grip challenge than it is a lifting challenge. So I have a cast bell that's 100 pounds I can do reps with now. I've got another replica that I can change the loading on. So one of my goals is to do 120 pounds for a single with each hand by the end of this year. Obviously that's not my main goal, but it's getting close to it. And then with travel, I added another one since I'm doing a grip competition just for fun in Finland. So my stretch goal, which is to double overhand axle 300 pounds for a single. So when I write that out, the axle I have is 75 pounds. So I write a little picture. That I've got the axle, I've got two 45s on each end, and then a 25-pound plate. So I actually visualize what the plates actually look like. So I have a solid picture of that in my head. Now, of course, they may have different loading. The competition may look a little bit different. Um, but that's some of the things that I do. I generally make it per uh, travel schedule, since that's going to be the big thing for me that changes. For clients, it's usually going to be what are their main goals, what are their competitions. And then I may have a couple goals. 
but even within that, depending on my travel schedule, I will prioritize other ones ahead of time. So now the phase I'm in, uh, my goal is to do the lifts in Finland at a body weight of 215. So I've been going down in body weight, it's 219 this morning, so I should hit that. And I prioritize more of the strength type things because it's a grip competition for strength. And like my other goal to do a 2000 meter in seven minutes, 10 seconds. I've still been working on it, but not directly. So I will then prioritize that one more after the event in Finland, knowing that I'll be home for a few more weeks in August and September. Uh, I'm gone three weekends in September, gone most of October again and most of November. So sometimes it's an equipment limitation on that too. Uh, so there you go. Uh, some tips and tricks you can test out and use in your own lifting. Thank you very much. Hey listeners, have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store, one for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry, and they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store, uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun, heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each Hall of Iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, the stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org and um, let us know what you think on the forums and certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.